Do you love having long, luscious eyelashes but hate the time it takes to put falsies on every morning? What about the cost of eyelash extensions and the long appointments to get them refilled? If you get just as frustrated as I do, Flutter Habit is the perfect solution for you. Flutter Habit offers DIY eyelash extensions at home that are a fraction of the price of regular extensions. Not to mention, they last for five days, which is far longer than regular glue-on eyelashes. If you're ready to up your eyelash game from the comfort of your own home, use the link in my show notes to get 10% off your first order. Thank you so much to Flutter Habit for working with me on this podcast episode. Oh, hi. If you're looking for another spooky and funny podcast to add to your rotation, check out Anything Bones, now part of the Podmoth Network. Hey, Boneheads, I'm Sophie Schwartz. And I'm Caitlin Hart. And we are the hosts of Anything Bones, the podcast where we talk about bones and bone-related topics. So, what are bone-related topics? Thank you for asking, Caitlin. This can be anything from mausoleums to murderers, famous skeletons to cadaver dogs. Bone churches, mummies, serial killers. You'll hear about them all. And sometimes we have guests stop by and tell us their favorite bony tales. Check out Anything Bones on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever your little heart desires. We release new episodes every Saturday. Bone Voyage! This podcast does not include graphic or explicit content. However, this podcast is based on the stories of people that are deceased and oftentimes murdered. So if the topic of death is bothersome to you or anyone around you, please use your best judgment when listening and also listen to the appropriate trigger warnings that I may give in any particular episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Doe Identify podcast. If you are new here, my name is Haley and this week's episode is going to be covering two women who were found in 2020. With it being so close to 2022, it's just in a few weeks at the time of this recording, I wanted to spread the word about these two Jane Does. For this episode, I ask all of you to really think about the people you haven't heard from in a while, especially if you're from these areas, and consider if you could know these women. The chances that these women knew no one in 2020 are very slim, like I mean like cousins, coworkers, friends. It's so slim that they knew absolutely no one, and I truly believe that we all could help get them identified if we just share their stories as much as we possibly can. Now, let's go ahead and get into the Lynn County Jane Doe's story. On April 3rd, 2020, the partially skeletonized body of a woman was found on a dirt road just off of the Santium Highway, also known as U.S. Highway 20. She was found in the portion of this highway that was in the Willamette National Forest in Albany, Oregon. This part of Oregon is in Lynn County, and in 2020, Lynn County had a population of about 128,000 people, so it is quite a large county. Investigators believe this unidentified white woman had died eight weeks to one year before her body was discovered. 
They could not determine her height for a reason none of my sources mentioned. I would probably assume that it's because the bones that they found weren't very conclusive with, you know, deciding what her height was, if that makes sense. So for example, they could have been missing her leg bones or something like that. They also do not mention her cause of death, but the FBI has a poster and the FBI has actually taken on this case and the poster or flyer that they send out through their media channels says that it was a violent crime, which is not good. We do know that she was between 30 and 50 when she died and she was also probably 110 to 140 pounds. She had short, curly, dark blonde hair to light brown hair, and her DNA phenotyping indicates she likely had green or hazel eyes, and she probably didn't have very many freckles. She was thankfully clothed, and investigators have images of her clothing, and I will link to one of my sources with the pictures of the clothing in case you want to see if you recognize the clothing but I'll just describe them to you right now. She was wearing a purple Apana full zip athletic jacket in a size extra small. I personally had never heard of this brand. She was also wearing a green BKE core camisole with spaghetti straps that was a size small and extra long. She also had on a heather-colored Victoria's Secret VSX Sport gray front zipper sports bra, and it was a size 32C. For pants, she had blue Wrangler denim jeans with crystal embellishments on the pockets, and those were a size 5 or 6, also a size 32, just depending on what sizes you're going on. The United States has like crazy sizes. I don't know if it's like that in other countries, but I never know what pant size I wear. Additionally, she had a heavy black fabric bandana that was tied with a square knot. She also had striped boot socks on and her shoes were Steve Madden in a size nine and a half. And I don't know about y'all, but all of those brands are pretty expensive in my opinion. I love all of these brands, but I definitely have to save up when I want to buy some new Wrangler jeans or something. And Victoria's Secret is not exactly super inexpensive. So I feel like that shows that she did come from a fairly wealthy, at least middle-class background for sure. According to an article from CBS 13, her DNA has been submitted and results are pending. This article was from May of 2020, so I'm not sure why it's taking so long for there to be an update, but perhaps none of her matches knew who she was, which is what we often see with Jane and John Doe cases. And that's really all the information I could find in this case. Again, both of these cases are very new, so there hasn't been a long time for there to be, you know, different theories or different people to come out and speak out about seeing this woman. There just hasn't been a lot of time. And because this case is so new, I feel like investigators are holding a little bit of information such as her cause of death. And I think over time, we may get some more clues into who she possibly was. But yeah, that's really it on her case. If you do have any information, and I will also have her picture in my episode art. Hers is the first picture. And 
see if you recognize her. If you do, please contact the Lynn County Sheriff's Office at 541-967-3950. They also had Detective Colin Pyle's information and his phone number is listed as the same. So ask for him because this seems to be his case. Chewy is once again one of my partnerships for this podcast. Chewy is one of the longest partnerships I have on this podcast, and it's for a great reason. We started using Chewy when we got our first dog, Ranger, in college, which was like four years ago, because it helped us save so much money through their auto ship program. Now that we have two dogs, we go through way more food now, and the auto ship program takes remembering to buy them their food every month off my plate completely. All I did was set up the frequency I want their food to be delivered, and it comes every single month. If you would like to try out the AutoShip program, you can save 30% on your first order using my link in the show notes. If you have a fur baby, I know you will love Chewy as much as I do. Now let's get into our second case, which was the Morgan County Jane Doe, also found in the year 2020. On July 31st, 2020, a fisherman was boating in Flint Creek, which is an offshoot of the Tennessee River in the Morgan County, Alabama area. This location is very close to the Tennessee border and isn't too far away from Huntsville, Alabama. Morgan County had about 120,000 people at their 2019 census, so again, this is a larger county. It was in Flint Creek where the fishermen boating discovered the body of a woman. Several organizations came out to do an investigation and to, you know, do some crime scene cleanup, and it's really eerie to see the tweets that they sent out. Understandably, citizens were very concerned about the heavy law enforcement and government agency presence in the area, and they were wondering what was going on. So the investigative agencies tweeted out that they did, in fact, find a body in Flint Creek. And it's just really eerie to see social media being used in this case because it just really goes to show how recent this case was and I'm just so used to really old Jane and John Doe cases from like the 70s, 80s, and even 90s that it's really weird seeing them tweet out about this woman. Investigators quickly confirmed that the body did not match any local missing women. We later found out that the body was heavily decomposed, so we really don't know much about this woman. We don't know her ethnicity, but based on the sketch that they made, I think she looks as though she could be white, Hispanic, Native American, or even mixed. The U.S. Census Bureau reports that Morgan County consists of 82.8% white people, 1% Native American, and 8.7% Hispanic. I know she didn't match any local missing persons cases, but I figured pulling up the population's demographics that might be a little bit helpful. Her sketch doesn't look like she was mixed with African American, and I would be really surprised to find out if she described herself as African American in the census, 
but I did go ahead and look to see the percentage of mixed people in the area and it was only 2%. But hopefully this can narrow it down. It looks like statistically she was probably either white or Hispanic, just looking at those being the larger percentages here. But you do never know. Genetics can be really surprising sometimes. I know I don't look like what I am, but it's just something to keep in mind. With all of that being said, the things that we do know is that she was 5'9 and weighed around 100 to 130 pounds. She was also between the ages of 25 and 50, which is a frustratingly wide range. We don't even know her hair color or her eye color in this case. They have tested this woman's DNA and we are waiting to see if she has any DNA matches. I'm not sure what is taking so long, but they are usually very quick to remove a NamUs profile if they have identified someone. So I think it's safe to assume her DNA matches weren't helpful in finding her identity. I also would be interested in seeing if they would do some phenotyping like what they did with the Lynn County Jane Doe discussed earlier in this episode. And again, that's really all that we have for this case. Just like the last one, it's so new and there's not a lot of clues about it. This is what's hard about being a Jane and John Doe podcast is sometimes your episodes are really short but once I got done with all this research I was like okay I'm just gonna get their faces out there even though this is gonna be a really short episode if you do recognize any of the details of this case or if you're missing a loved one who was a woman and she was probably around five nine I would go ahead and look at the image or even contact local investigators But regarding the image, because we don't know a lot of details about her, such as her eye color or her hair color, the image is probably as accurate as possible, but do just take it with a grain of salt if you think that this could be your loved one. If you do want to get in touch with detectives about this case, please contact Detective Sean Muckadam at 256-341-4617 or email s muckadam m-u-k-a-d-d-a-m at decatur d-e-c-a-t-u-r dash a-l dot gov i will have the contact information for both of these cases in my show notes as well as on instagram and facebook so that way anyone can contact the local authorities if they think that these could be their loved ones And remember, even if you think it sounds crazy and you don't want to be that relative that's assuming that someone has gone missing because you haven't heard from them, especially with COVID going on in 2020, please, it does not hurt to see if it could be your loved one. Maybe just describe your loved one to these investigators and see if that could match the Jane Doe. For these cases, I literally beg all of you to please share this episode or go to my sources in the show notes and share one of my sources for these cases. Again, both of these happened in 2020 and their friends and family are way more than likely still alive to this day. They probably just don't know that they've gone missing or maybe they were out of touch or we all know that COVID has really minimize the contact that we have with our loved ones so please share their faces and their stories somehow whether it be on social media or with friends and family that live in this area 
Also, I used to preach this all the time in my episodes, but they changed their policy. But for these cases, I really wanted to remind everyone to submit their DNA to GEDmatch. If you're a new listener, old listeners, buckle in for my old rant. But if you're a new listener, GEDmatch is a database that works with police departments and they can help you get connected with people through DNA. And they probably in the past, I want to say a year, they changed their policy to where anyone that submits it, the police can go ahead and grab that DNA file and compare it to Jane and John Doe's. It used to be where you had to opt in, but I stopped ranting once they changed their policy. But if you have used Ancestry DNA or 23andMe, you can upload your DNA to GEDmatch in a few clicks of a button. I think it took me literally two minutes. And with those two minutes, you can know for certain that you aren't related to anyone that is unidentified who has had their DNA submitted. And with this day and age, it's definitely most of them that get their DNA submitted. So you can sleep all at night knowing that no one in your bloodline is unidentified, which is a great feeling if you're like me and you worry about everything. So for these cases, please let them be your motivation to submit your DNA to GEDmatch. It will do a lot of good in the world if we all just submitted our DNA. The only people outside of GEDmatch that would be going through your DNA are government employees and detectives. And so don't worry about being cloned or anything. And if you already got your DNA tested through Ancestry DNA or 23andMe, you probably aren't too worried about your DNA being collected. So yeah, go ahead and do that. I will leave a link to GEDmatch in my episode show notes. Anyways, thank you all so much for listening to this week's really short episode. And remember to check out Anything Bones. They are so awesome over there. And I'm just really excited that we have this opportunity to share each other's podcasts at Podmoth. All right, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Happy Kwanzaa and happy New Year's to absolutely everyone that is listening to this podcast episode. A huge thank you to Hunter Killer for helping me bring you all this week's podcast episode. If you're anything like me, your ideal Friday or Saturday night is spent at home on the couch in your pajamas, maybe drinking a little bit of wine or some hard seltzer with your family and your dogs. Because I would rather stay in than go out, I absolutely love Hunt a Killer. If you haven't heard of Hunt a Killer yet, it is a murder mystery game told over six boxes. In each box, you will get things like witness statements and autopsy reports, and using these clues, you can solve a murder by the time you get to the final box. At only $30 per box, Hunt a Killer is way less expensive than a night at the town or a night at the movie theater, and it's an affordable way to spend time with your family and relax at home. If you like my podcasts or anything true crime related, you will absolutely love Hunt a Killer. And the best part is that with the link in my show notes, you will get 30% off your first box.